0: Oh boy, would you like to introduce our mental state, Matthew Leafs?
1: Hello and welcome to. Two gentlemen and a lady are tired and broken. (laughs) We thought today we would have a special treat. This is the 100th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down audio podcast. And after more than 99 absolutely flawless, impeccable, professional, dazzling, witty, smooth, entertaining episodes, we thought we'd give you a special treat. Something unprepared, raw, and possibly not that great. Because... I'm joined by Philippa War, who has lost her voice. Hello. (laughs) Um, Quentin Smith, who has lost his mind. Hello. (laughs) And uh, me, who is question mark, question mark, question mark, unwell uh, thank you very much Matt Lees uh, if
0: you're new to this this is a podcast about board games and uh, fractures in the human
1: spirit I mean frankly if you're new to this please just go and listen to like another episode first <laughs> <laughs> it's we, not This is not a great entry point
0: we should stress we're coming to you live from Shucks the Shut Up and Sit Down convention in Vancouver with a fabulous audience give yourselves a round of applause everybody <laughs> I feel like this, this, uh, you might have heard this before if you've been catching the daily recaps, but I love this story because it it summarizes shucks. Um, uh, During a panel uh, earlier this weekend, I was looking through the sort of uh, fine gauze curtains uh, that we have that separate us from some secret rooms, one of the rooms where uh, the convention management meets. And I looked over and saw 20 people stood around a table. And I thought, oh God, my heart skipped a beat. What could possibly involve 20 members of our of our sort of volunteer and management team? And I finally, at the end of the panel, went backstage and I heard, <laughs> of the, all the people talking, we have to warp now. <laughs> Turns out it was a mega game. Which looks very similar to uh, the managerial uh, sort of structure of a company uh, having
1: a breakdown. <laughs> I mean, me- mega games are actually terrible for that. They're terrible for my blood pressure. I remember when we were doing the signings just over there, at one point, I saw somebody in a suit run over looking extremely stressed out to talk to a volunteer. And I was like, what on earth is going on? Like, is there a fire? Is there a legal team involved? And it's like, yeah, it's just somebody pretending to be a person. <laughs> um, Rather like us right now. Yeah, exactly. But actually, I had a lot of things yesterday i got to be a delegate in a mega game and it was a mega game that was loosely based on uh, dwarf fortress i believe that uh, yeah yeah shout out to dwarves <laughs> they, their energy levels are pretty low as well which is making me feel better um
2: but, but they're largely underground they're
1: largely underground <laughs> so that's why it sounded muted to us because it was most of the yays were coming from about 100 feet down but I got, I got to go in basically as a, a dignitary and I got given um, a cane and an elaborate mask and pockets full of hard cash. Like, they gave me a lot of money. <laughs> and they basically said, look, you're here, you're grumpy, just go around and like, if people impress you, give them money.
0: So you were a grumpy dwarven visiting king?
1: I wasn't a dwarf, actually. I was I was a human and I was afraid of snakes and I was informed... Uh, that, that I didn't like the darks, so they had to make it bright for me. <laughs> so I immediately turned up and just complained that it was very dark, <laughs> you know. I hope that they spent hours investing in light and it just wasn't enough. Um, but it was lovely. It, it was a combination of people just coming up and doing goofy things, of being like, hello, hello, uh, and people asking me questions. They were kind of dwarf journalists asking me questions and I would basically, I had somebody who was my minder Uh, who sort of took me around and every time anyone came and asked me any kind of question I just gave him some money and said make this person go away (laughs) (laughs) which was a lot of fun Um, I tried to give the unions a lot of money to stop being a union To be like, what are you complaining about? Have some money and go away. Um, and then it was very cute. I had people kind of frantically being like, please, please, you need to come over here and see this. And then going through like things that they clearly spent a lot of the game developing these aesthetic technologies. Like, we've got a purple flame that's really beautiful and does fireworky things. And I'm like, oh, cool, have some money. And they're like, <gasps> <laughs> and then and having the jester coming. I'm like, it's a jester, it's a jester. And he's reading off like cue cards. I've got this, I've got this, we've got a juggling act, we've got this. And I like, clearly spent a lot of time preparing all of these things that he then read out loud, and he did all this and then looked up, and then the, the GMs went like, roll four dice.
0: <laughs>
1: he rolled the four dice, and the, the man just turned to me straight on and said, it's incredibly impressive.
2: <laughs>
1: and I'm just like, cool, yeah, have, have loads of money. But I think the highlight for me, and I really, I kind of want to publicly apologize for this, but the first thing I did pretty much when I walked in, in character being this grumpy, magnanimous git, was uh, and in my defence I had a mask on and I couldn't really, my visibility was not as great but I, I stepped on someone's glasses like their actual glasses and I broke their glasses and I mean in my defence they were on the floor <laughs> but I did just walk in in character and immediately break someone's actual glasses to be fair they took it very well and uh, also to, be, to, to give myself some credit I didn't break character <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did give them a tremendous amount of money to get themselves some new glasses. <laughs> but it was fake dwarf money. <laughs> so I'm really sorry about that, whoever that was. They took it remarkably well. Um, the, um, uh, the apology that I have to
0: provide is during our signing, and I still can't believe I did this, but after you've been signing stuff for an hour and a half, uh, you know, trying to give as much energy as you can, you start to lose your mind. Um, and what happened? We had a, we had a dispenser of, of hand sanitizer. <laughs> Oh, I'd forgotten about this. It's <laughs> ominous when Matt laughs. Pip knew this as well. Um, <laughs> I
2: saw the aftermath. Of this.
0: Yeah, so someone came round to um, uh, to take photos, and then you know I dispensed them onto my hand because you need to do it every so often. Yeah. but it's you don't know there's no good time to do it during a signing because if you do it before someone or after someone, it's like it's you
1: saying you're gross. Your hands are weird. Also, it's like that it's like we're kind of partially doing it to look after other people because yeah, we course. are like you know we're like. Contagion 31. point zero. We're yeah, like, you exactly. know, the ground zero for that. Like, here we are, I've touched hundreds of hands. Why don't I touch your face with them? Um, well, n- you
0: will not be touched on the face if you come to a sharp and Sedown signing. Uh, however, then um, the person who came round uh, to, uh, to take a photo with us, I said, Do you want some hand sanitizer as well? And for reasons I still do not fully understand, <laughs> I pumped it about 20 times. <laughs> and I yeah, thought, because this is yeah. be funny, because you know, alcohol gel, of course, evaporates when you apply it. Turns out, if you dispense enough slime into someone's hands, it doesn't evaporate from the heat of the hands. So he walked away with just absolutely filthy dripping hands. It, also, imi- it immediately created a stain
1: on his trousers, and I went, oh, that's great, you can tell people that was Quinn's. Yeah, weird stains, dripping hands, are probably really cold as well. Because yeah. I guess the alcohol would cool, yeah, like, it was, it was, it was real weird, but he took it well. With his, as he walked away with his incredibly slimy hands, I think he was trying to like give some to to other people, like shaking hands with them (laughs) to like, which I thought was actually a really kind gesture on his part. Yeah, no, it's. But other people weren't so keen on it. So that that happened. Um.
2: I um I turned up uh, basically as that was starting, as the signing was starting, with a big old donut in my hand that Isaac had handed to me on my way in. So I was kind of like, I was out of breath. I was absolutely covered in sugar. And someone said, Would you mind signing this? I'm like, uh, stuffed the whole donut in my mouth, <laughs> could not speak, and then tried to use one of the water dispensers to wash my hands. <laughs>
1: That is, that is about as feral as Pip gets, I think.
2: It felt like I might be a raccoon.
0: <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, some of you may have noticed that Pip is dying, uh, and also that she has a poster with her. So, Pip, would you like to explain this?
2: So... <clears throat> Yes, well, (laughs) because because my voice is ridiculous and I can't imagine it would be pleasant listening to it on an entire podcast, I thought I would create, hopefully, a movie poster for the um, Raccoon School RPG. Um,
0: Let's not underplay this. This was your first experience GMing.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
0: So I think any GM in the audience will know how intimidating that is. Round of applause for Philip (laughs) Warren.
2: <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, side note. I just want to say thank you again to the um, to the three players. They were so good. I've been saying this to a bunch of people, but I could have walked off stage and left them to it. They were so good at like improving and staying in character and doing amazing, entertaining things. I mean,
1: every time I walked past and saw the stage, um, at least one person, usually to be fair, the same person, was waving both of their arms around above their head. <laughs> Which is, yeah. if that's not a sign of enjoyment <laughs> and entertainment, then I don't know what is.
2: That was uh, that was Rocky Raccoon, and at one point there was a, a sexy sea shanty involved, I believe. Right. So. Well, I'll be checking this out when I get home. Um, but yeah, so I made a poster, and I figured I would show it to you two and the audience, and see if you could maybe even hazard a hazard a guess at what. What even was happening? What was the main kind of mystery, okay. I guess? Well, or like who anyone was? Or
1: <laughs> Maybe we should treat this a bit like Wavelength where me and uh, <laughs> we played some Wavelength with the audience last night for just a couple of rounds and we found it's actually incredibly fun to play that game. It's coming out soon. Um, it confirmed again that that game is kind of amazing, but it's amazing when you play it with, the, with an audience of then getting everyone to make noise until they think that it hits the point where everyone's about right. We can't quite do that, but if me and Quinn have some <laughs> theories about what it might be, we might be able to finesse it and get some sort of psychic understanding with the audience. So yeah. like, oh no, but people might have seen it. Yeah, That's cheating, or right? you're not allowed to play if you've seen it, okay? But no if cheats. You,
2: if you did come along to it, thank you so much, because the audience, like it was such a warm kind of atmosphere and supportive, and thank you so much if you came along and just sort of were lovely and...
0: <laughs> okay let's see what we've got
2: okay
0: okay for the people listening to the podcast wow it's got colour Whoa! wow that's better than I thought that was going to be okay. I forgot the yeah. drawers I like these raccoons a lot the blue one on the top
1: is my fave
0: okay well first off there are some raccoons they have some names we've got Eleanor Rosie Pelt uh, Rockwell, Rocky Raccoon, uh, and Sari, Ringtail. Oh, and Yip, uh, who is small and very blue. Which, okay, well, first off, this implies to me that during. So this was Bubble Gumshoe, right? The sort of like. Uh, uh, is it fair to say sort of like teen heist, sort of hardy boys? Uh, but you chose to do it with raccoons, which is obviously better.
2: It was kind of. Um the idea is teen, yeah, teen school detectives, kind of Nancy Drew, kind of Veronica Mars thing going oh, on. Oh,
0: nice, nice, nice. Okay. Yeah.
2: And I figured the raccoons might know as much about the American school system as I do, so um, <laughs> that was kind of my get-out when people asked, "Is sophomore more or less than junior?" Don't know. It's
1: a great question. Well, moving on.
0: My- <laughs> My eyes immediately go to the blue raccoon, I'm yeah. thinking, what happened
1: there? I'm thinking, fell in some paint? Flew himself? Who knows? Um, so you think fell in paint. I'm going to say that it's kind of a mystery is like, who is the blue raccoon? Are they from somewhere else? Are they a foreign raccoon? Is it, is it a disguise? Is it an alien <laughs> raccoon? How deep does this go? <laughs> There's just no way... Well, I mean,
0: do we do we want to leave it as a teaser? Do we want to say, hey, you can watch this video and find out about raccoons when the video... I
1: guess we don't want to know exactly... I mean, would it be no. a spoiler to know what the general gist of the campaign is? I'll tell is? you
2: what the setup was. So the setup is that Yip uh, turns up and is blue. Uh, Yip is, sorry, sister.
1: Ah. Uh,
2: they are two of sex sextuplets. Uh, this is uh, Rocky. Uh, Rocky is on the, uh, I believe, varsity teams (laughs) of some kind. (laughs) And this is a letter jacket. (laughs) And um, Rocky uh, is besties with another one of the sextuplets who has that's why rocky is involved has been sort of called in as a best friend uh, kind of thing and eleanor rosie pelt is uh, on the yearbook committee so she was taking photos of rocky while uh, he was just post-practice but still in his singlet um, and that's why she was there. So she's a kind of high-achieving kind of... Wait, so the type. raccoons
0: actually went to school?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But this is so unhygienic.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a school for raccoons, I believe. Oh!
0: I assumed yeah. it was raccoons breaking into a school.
2: That was what I thought at first. And then I thought, what if they have like just sort of spent enough time in trash cans while looking at the TV streaming through people's windows and gone, they're really into this school stuff. I guess we need one of those. And they've just sort of set up a kind of education system. It all (laughs) adds up.
1: I've been saying this for years. So, so the mystery was how did
2: it was how, Yip
1: get blue? It
2: was, uh, yeah, why is, oh, why is Yip blue? And then the bonus mission was can you also prevent Yip from being blue in time for yearbook photos tomorrow?
1: <laughs> That's stressful. That's <laughs> stressful. Uh,
2: my much. arm is tired now.
0: <laughs> and if you'd like to find out more about that, there will be a video with a name that will exist on a YouTube channel
2: something blue is the name of the adventure something (laughs) blue
0: I like it gives shut up and sit down something blue a search and you will see just how easy fun and hairy role playing (laughs) can be thank you very much Pip
2: thank you
1: Pip is now being excused from the rest of the podcast because she's effectively bought her doctor her doctor's note just happened to be a gigantic picture of four raccoons Um, (laughs) It's also, it says an awful lot that earlier on, actually, I was talking to someone else, and I was like, oh, I don't know where Pip is. And they said, oh, she's just, I think she's just drawing some raccoons. And I just didn't question it. I was like, sure. Okay, cool.
0: Okay, well, next up on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, we're going to be talking about some board games. Oh, baby, baby. That's it. Is there no more? How was I supposed to play? such okay. a lovely board game. There we go. <laughs> uh, okay, everybody, I played Obscurio. Obscurio, let me tell you, have you played Mysterium? There we go. Nice. Nailed it. Do you want something that's like Mysterium, but way harder, weirder, and more pressured, and about wizards?
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the audience was so, like, unconvinced. They're what like, yeah, but... No, they, no, they, what they were called. What if I told you there was a traitor? What if I told you there was plastic acetate that you could put over things so it became red and you couldn't see colour? Right, there's, okay. there's a lot going on here. So, this, this crowd, anti-wizards, <laughs> anti-hidden roll, pro-acetate. The let pro-acetate me, lobby is pretty big in Canada. Let me just make some notes on the rest of the show. Okay. <clears> okay. <throat> So Obscurio, actually, to be fair, for a name that is sort of generic uh, and features a lot of these, you know, once again, uh, the the French artists of the world have been commissioned to make an enormous deck of wild-looking art cards. Um, But for an abstract name, uh, (laughs) Obscurio... I just feel like we're keeping France in business. (laughs) We are. There's a bunch of French artists who have been commissioned to draw a hundred weird things in enormous detail, and I guess that keeps them in baguettes and cigarettes. So, uh, Obscurio is a game where everybody plays wizards in a haunted library that is like a maze. It's a bit Disney Fantasia. One person is not a ghost, but a book, okay? And uh, at the start of a round, uh, they are shown a card in the style of Mysterium, which is the true card that the group needs to pick. Um, However, however, then what what happens is you have a, uh, you place the, uh, you place two, wait, yes, okay, go, right. So, so, so Matt, calm down, don't worry. What we've got... You have- all the cards are circular. So, very important. Imagine circles. Okay, you're imagining a circle. Yeah. So we've got one Artessa, which is a circle, which is the true door. Then you draw two more cards, which you put in your magical book that you are. And then you (laughs) use two arrows, which actually, because magnets, clamp onto the art. So unlike Mysterium or Dixit, where you give cards out, in this, get ready, you can put a card out and then put a little magnetic arrow on it, pointing to a specific bit of the card. So you do this twice. You've got two arrows pointing to two. They're circles, don't forget, they're circles. Two arrows pointing to two circles. Then, uh, you sh- you, everybody closes their eyes and you show the traitor what I call, uh, I'm gonna pardon my French, the bullshit book, okay? <laughs> you unfold this massive screen, and in it, held in little plastic sleeves like Mysterium, are like eight more cards and the traitor opens their eyes and can point at which cards might be similar to the cards that you picked that are just gonna confuse things. Then, you take the cards that the traitor chose, add the true door, don't forget it's a circle, uh, (laughs) and then you shuffle that, you add a few more, and basically all the players end up looking at six possible doors in this library going, how do I get out which is the true exit, okay? Mm. Then you start a sand timer. (laughs) Did I mention there's sand timers? And a traitor, and circles. Um, so the way it works then is all the players start going, oh well look, the arrow was pointing at a knight, so maybe knight, metal, can it be the door that's metal? Or is it gonna be the crown, because crowns are made of metal? But of course you've got a traitor going, I think it's this fish. <laughs> <laughs> Once players decide uh, They can go to a door And they place their token But The longer you wait The more times you have to Flip the sand timer The more traps there will be Right And this is where Obscurio comes as a name Because the more traps The longer you spend Bickering mm-hmm. over the door mm-hmm. um, You uh, get more traps And the traps are things Like the acetate So one of the traps would be You've now got an acetate So you can't see colour Of the clues That Ghost is picking Another would be You're going to obscure Most of the image Hence Obscurio Another will be there's more cards, uh, there's, a, there's a whole bag of traps, um, and then everyone who guessed the exit wrong, you lose a token. But the funny thing about it, and um, this is the last thing I'll say about Obscurio uh, by... by ooh, no, I don't have the publisher. Great. Professional. Um, are you going to try and read my handwriting? <laughs> Le,
1: L'Atelier?
0: L'Atelier. Let's go with that. Uh, so, um, in this game, it's a hidden role game, but where, the because of mechanics that I won't get into, The traitor needs to be not that much of a traitor. Right. And they need to amp up the traititude towards the end of the game. And then, Uh. this is my favorite bit of theme, there comes a point where if you lose enough lives, finally there's a voting round and players all decide who they think the traitor is. And if they get them, they, and this is the words of the demoer, tie them up with rope and leave them behind. Cool. Magical Wizard Bondage Dixit Acetate Simulator 2019. That's Obscurio. It's available in the Asmodee area. Uh, I really quite liked it.
1: I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it Dixit Avalon. There you go. Done. Uh, do you want to talk about Tumbling Dice? Tumbling Dice. Well, I played this for about uh, five minutes today. Great. It's fabulous. I mean, like we, we've, we've been getting into this Dexterity games over the past year and trying all sorts of things. Uh, a bit of crocodile, A bit of Crocinole for leads. I'm a big fan of Clask. But Tumbling Dice is just a game where you have to just taking sense to flick dice down a board that gets, is stepped and then has pegs at the bottom of different areas to stop the dice from falling off the edge, but then has these little kind of tiny islands at the edge, which... Give you like the most points if you can get the dice to land on them. So it's kind of like Super Monkey Ball, if anyone remembers that classic from the GameCube of like you're just wanting to get things to go down and then just stop right at the end of the tiny thing. And it gets smaller and smaller until it's like if you can get it to land just there, then great. But then it's basically dexterity combined with luck because when it lands in an area, that area is a multiplier for the number on the dice, which means you might just like... Oh. <laughs> yeah, right? So you might land it on like the, the final little one of the islands and it's like, that's four times, but it's four times one. <laughs> which means someone flicks the dice to the starting area and it's like, yeah, that's six points and I got more points than that, which is amazingly infuriating. Obviously, you then got the ball element of like, your dice can get knocked off by your dice or other people's dice. And my favorite thing, which is horrible, is the first zone... Um, is whatever's on the dice times by minus one. (laughs) So that means you get a dice and you flick it and you're like, great, that's minus six points. (laughs) And then you're like, do you want to try and use a dice to knock that dice out of that thing? Probably not a good idea, but you're probably going to try and do it anyway. Oh, because obviously if you don't knock it strong enough, it'll just come to a stop
0: and be more negative points. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, um, it's, just, yeah, it's such a simple thing, but immediately like, yeah, this is, this is a lot of fun.
0: Oh man, in terms of stuff in the Dexterity zone, flicking discs, making friends, uh, don't miss it, it's at 19 2019. They have kickstarted, I didn't realize this, but if you've played a fantastic Dexterity racing game, Pitch Car, where you flick cars around a track, they've just kickstarted an official Loop the Loop expansion. Uh, ah. So the way this works is it's a piece of vinyl. I thought I hadn't seen this. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I didn't know what this was. Um, no, sorry, what you said made sense, and then I made. It I,
1: I saw they had there's some loop de loops on the track today. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're bootleg loop de loops. No, 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 they're the official ones.
0: Official loop de loop. But what was funny is they were saying the loop de loop is easy. But then what I saw last night that was so hard that when I went, oh, I'll try this. About 18 people stopped to watch. I guess on the off chance that I would do it, and then that would be the best moment of my life. Um, the thing is because it's vinyl it doesn't have to be a loop so what they were able to do is compress it Kind of like if you imagine like a, a long piece of quite firm rubber that you pushed in from either side It forms a U and that U is basically like a bridge like an upward slope that then of course becomes a downward slope like mm-hmm. a bridge Yeah, so if you compress the loop that loop, it becomes a bridge Can you conceive of how hard it is to flick one of the pitch car cars? up a piece of rubber so that it doesn't go catapulting into the ceiling, No, but then comes sliding down the other side. It's basically mini golf if anyone's played that uh, fantastic board game.
1: <laughs> Possibly the most
0: frustrating game invented. Uh, mini golf, yeah. yeah. But no, it turns out they're still making pitch car expansions, it's still raw good, and I did not make the shot. I tried it once, realised how hard it was, tried it again, and then just walked away. And there were like 18 Down fans being like, "Wow, that's
1: probably fair." That is completely, completely fair.
0: Uh, let's should we, should we talk a little bit about, about the uh, the other RPG you played yesterday that I've been wanting to uh, hear about? Ah, yes. Because this is an, any award-winning RPG that I wanted to play yesterday and couldn't. Um, this yeah. is uh, Mothership. Mothership.
1: Mm. Mothership. Yeah, which Mothership. is like, <laughs> which is by Sean of. Uh, to uh, oh, my brain is going. Sean. <laughs> McCoy. Sean McCoy. McCoy. I knew it was Sean Mook something. Um, of Sean McMothership. I want to say, of Two Rooms and a Boom! Tuesday Night Games. I there got it. Go. I got the words. I found them. Words are expensive today. Um, Mothership is fascinating in the fact that it's like a, a sci-fi horror RPG. Obviously, we didn't get like the full experience of it because I played it for the first time as part of a stage show where there was an element of it being entertaining. And also, even though it's not supposed to be funny, it's kind of impossible not to just... Is it not a horror game? It is, but it was still funny. But that's just because, well, you we build a character and the character creation is actually quite minor in a good way. It's you have a combination of things and you go, okay, look, you know, we're gonna give you this equipment, you're this class it means you've got some of these things. And at the end, you, you roll a D100 to be like, and you get some extra things. So you get like an extra little thing and the thing kind of varied. Now Pip was an android and her item was a stuffed cat. Ooh, I in like her- this. This is a bit data but sinister. Yes. So uh, that was in her effects that would be brought for this trip and mine was uh, a an urn of a relatives ash with some relatives ashes. Okay? Okay. Which we, are well, right, obviously, this
0: is hilarious. Yeah,
1: which is like... that. But the thing is, you know, we were people on a colony ship going to a new life, so that doesn't have to be, like, the fact, that, you know... Well, the stuff can't, I don't know. Um, and then the lovely thing is that because the character is very much like, you've got a name, you've got a class, you've got some very basic skills, um, in terms of, like, vague things like biology, you can do that, well done. Um, you then roll on a D100 to have, like, on your little, like, cryo suit suit, a patch. And um, basically, yeah, that that would be kind of an idea of like, to help you kind of come up with an idea of... Who you are? Yeah, what your skills are represented by who you are. So rather than having this like really firm view, I like the fact that it's just like, hey, you're a marine, or hey, you're a scientist, or hey, you're an android, or hey, you're one of the people from the union, you know? Mm. Because it's like, it does have that thing of being like the you know, alien-style world of like androids are obviously really useful, but you've got to also have humans, and then you, they have a system on the ships where you have to have an android or a shepherd, and the shepherds are humans who are kind of union-run to keep an eye on things. Okay. So it's got some really nice, like, world nice world building, and you know, you're on this ship, you come out of cryosleep, and there's different parts of the ship, and you have like an AI-style Alexa computer that you can talk to and ask questions and Is check that the, the, the GM? logs. Yeah, the GM, basically, you can say, but you have to, you know, go through a system of being like, Andy, it's called Andy, and be like, Andy, uh, ship logs, and then it'd be like, it would list off all different types of ship logs you can access and check things. Um, and yeah, I think what was fascinating about it to me, was the fact that, really, most of the roles you were doing were just saving roles constantly.
0: <laughs> oh, as in you were just being, is it a... Attacked.
1: Yeah, but rather than being attacked by physical things, you were just being attacked by stress mostly. Ah. So uh, we have different stats like uh, fear and uh, sanity and like your body and other things. And so it would just be like there was some stuff wrong. I'm not going to spoil it because again, it's something that we online at some point. But there were some things wrong with our bodies. Throughout the thing, there were some things going on that were a little bit disconcerting, and it meant.
0: So sorry, just to clarify, is the the pitch for the game? You all wake up out of cryo sleep, and something is wrong. Uh, yes,
1: and this was the adventure we were playing anyway, but i think it 's like it 's a system for just like weird sci fi adventures but that 's what happened to us. yeah. We came out of cryosleep early, and things weren 't quite right and there were pirates attacking the ship at the same time, so it was sort of a it was a, it was a pretty stressful situation. but what was lovely was because it was a pretty stressful situation, every time any of our characters learned anything that was stressful, we had to roll fear checks we had to roll like and basically it just meant we were constantly rolling things that we were failing and that was making our stress go up and stress was basically just this this economy that we all had that just kept getting higher and higher and higher and even if you succeeded a stress check it just meant you took half the current stress level (laughs) so it's like the stress level kept going up and the audience was in control of the stress level which was kind of funny Um, but it meant you know it's like my ability to not be afraid as a scientist i had a, a fear like saving thing of 25 which meant i had to roll a d100 and get below 25 and that'd be like hey well done you just got uh, you know, two stress instead of three, <laughs> like because it rounds up, and you're like, ah. um, but then you get to a point where you will be asked to make a stress check, and then when you make a stress check, you then have to do you have to do the opposite. You have to roll it above your current stress. Oh, okay. And then if you don't, then you add what you rolled to your current stress, and there is a chart in the notes which then tells you what happens. You basically panic and something. You know, I I think I became a coward. So it kind of has a flavour of torchbearer there in terms of it being like, you know, oh, now you're, you're a coward. Over the course of the adventure, people start relatively fresh and then just crumble at the edges. Exactly. But it's the stress can be different types of things. It could be like your body. You know, you still have like hit points. You still have health. You can still be hurt. But it's more just like, you know, you see something that that is very weird and now it's like role sanity. And it's like, how good are you at keeping your head? But it has some lovely thematic stuff and the fact that like if you are a Marine and you're with other Marines, then your roles get better. uh, Like when you're together. Um, At the same time, I was a scientist, which meant I was like a a paragon of logic and things. I mean, I was very good at uh, rolling When it came to sanity checks, I'd be like, no, 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 this isn't, you know. But if I failed, um, then it meant everyone else got more stressed Ah. because it's the idea of if the scientist is like, this doesn't make sense, then everyone's like, oh. And it was kind of all like that. Everyone had this thing of like, oh, I think it was the same where the Android, if the Android didn't seem to be reacting in a logical way, it was actually I think it was the reverse. It was like if the android kept succeeding and not failing fear checks, if like the humans were afraid of something, but the android just wasn't reacting to it, that actually made everyone feel uncomfortable. Oh, um, nice. But the touch, which made it interesting uh, for a live show particularly, was the fact that a lot of it comes down to individual information and obviously it can kind of be frustrating if you're playing an RPG and you have to keep breaking off the rooms and being like all right now I'm gonna go and talk to these people about this but what was cool about this was a you had your own information but B, you also, you didn't always want to share it and not because it's that like horrible thing of being like I'm gonna steal all the gold at the end of the dungeon um, but because you get told something really stressful or you'd find out something that was worrying and then you'd have to roll these dice and it would be bad for you. And then in this game, everyone had headphones on. When everyone then took their headphones off and you were all back in everyone the room... Had headphones on? Yeah, Alan did an incredible job of, like, you know, making it a live show thing and everyone had their own little coloured dice trays and matching coloured headphones. Uh, so you could have... We listened to, like, thematic music that would mean we couldn't hear the conversations. Um... But it meant that then everyone took it off again. You didn't want to be like, hey, guys, uh, so this is happening. Because then it'd be like, oh, well, everyone has to roll for fear now. Wow. So it became this thing of like you, you didn't want to withhold information from people. Um, but at the same time, you didn't want to get stressed. And it would be a thing like when we were playing it, you'd say, well, what about this? And like even just having conversations of being like, well, what if this is happening? Uh, Alan would just lean over and go, oh, that would be kind of stressful, wouldn't it? (laughs) How about everybody rolls some, and you're just like, oh. So you're trying to kind of keep your cool as players, but also in the context of things, and it meant that like, um, it was fascinating to me because at the end of the session, I was a bit worried about it as a live show because I thought, you know what, like a lot of weird stuff happened, but I didn't feel like I had any sense of anything. And I was like, oh dear, that's like a really disappointing thing to have watched. Turned out, no, actually like, there was enough information. It's just none of us had any of it. Like, as players, it was kind of like what was going on. But when we talked about it afterwards, it was like, oh, OK. Like, there, was, there were more clues about what was going on. Like, people could piece together from an audience perspective, I think, from what I gathered. Um, but he said that, obviously, when he's playing that off stage, you would do it like if you've ri- written an adventure, you would kind of have some beats that you know that each of the characters is going to have. And he'd have it in like a text document. So he could just like copy and paste it into like Facebook message or whatever, and just ping people's phones to be like, And he said that's kind of fun because it means people just start picking up their dice and rolling, and people like, "What are you rolling for?" (laughs) And they'd be like, "Stress." Like, "What are you stressed about?" Nothing. (laughs) Um, So I just really like that. That it was like it was about trying to communicate with one another. I had at one point I thought something weird and maybe bad was happening, and I wasn't trying to like deflect responsibility. I wanted to try and do something that I could do to help. But I knew I probably couldn't help with that. So I kind of encouraged the Marine to just go over there. But I didn't tell them what was happening. This
0: is what I love the sound of. I love the sound of, you know, players finding stuff out and then just not talking about it. Like, you know, like you might do if something's truly horrific in your actual life. Yeah. We're not going to talk about this.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was this thing of being like, okay, well, look, look, I need some things. If you go over to this place and give them directions, you should be able to find the things I need. And then, like, I knew that there was nothing I needed there and I knew that there might be something horrific going on but also they're they're a marine. They've got guns and stuff. I was a scientist. What was I going to do? They were not happy when we met up again (laughs) and it was quite funny sitting with headphones on looking over and watching someone just going (laughs) 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 and me being like... "I didn't." Matty's looking frantic and waving. Yeah, like really angry and frantic and and me just being like I'm sorry, I didn't want to stress you all out by telling you what was happening. Uh... So I think that's a really interesting dynamic and I I certainly felt like in a way as I said like I I personally ended the session like a little bit like frustrated but that was purely because like I just really got into it and I wanted to like I want to know what was going on. I wanted to flesh out the story and find out it was a it was kind of a very cliched setting in many ways you know but it was thematically like so tight and so fun that yeah really cool system. Definitely worth checking out.
0: Oh, That's fantastic. That's That's Mothership. Yeah
1: Mothership. Available
0: I believe from all good PDF mongers
1: online, uh, in terms of people not knowing
0: what's going on, I'll spend just two minutes mentioning a game of Blood on the Clock Tower I played, uh, because, hey, Blood on the Clock is in shucks at forks, in, it, at shucks in force, not in a fork, oh god, what's happening with my mind? Uh, hopefully now some of you have had the chance to play it, uh, woo! A um, little, little polite smattering of applause for the big uh, Blood on the Clock Tower team. However, what of course it is very important to know is that even if you've played Blood on the Clock Tower at Shucks, you will have played of course the starter set. And I was able to put together a game of a, of a script known as Sects and Violets, which is a, uh, a monstrously complicated thing and a lot of the players in my group decided, you know what, if this is going to be that complicated, we're just going to watch. And of course, if you watch Blood on the Clock Tower, you can look in the grimoire, you can see what roles everyone is, you can see what powers people have used on one another. And at one point, I went over to one of the spectators and said, wow, this is crazy, but do you know what's going on? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, and then, yeah, just as an example of what I'm talking about, uh, there was a point in our game where one of, just one of the ba- big bads who you might be trying to kill in Sex and Violence is a creature known as uh, Vortox. And if Vortox exists, there are two things that happen. First off, uh, you must execute, you know, pick someone to lynch every night or Vortox wins. Second, all information that good players receive is false. All of it. <sighs> but it's not wrong, Matthew. It's false. So if you can deduce there's a vortex, it means then if you, if you, you know everything you're told is not true, not that it might not be true. Do you understand? Yes. Invert the yeah, logic and yeah. then rock and roll. But we had a point in our game wow. where we realized someone had maybe made a vortex. So the artist, this is, I love God, but in the clock tower, goodness. The artist's power is once per game, you can go up to the storyteller and ask one question that they must answer truthfully. So after incredible peer pressure, the artist went up to the storyteller and said, am I the artist? And the storyteller said, no. And then they went, right, we've got a vortex. Everyone needs to invert everything we know. And then, yeah. So uh, just just wanted to give people a heads up. That's cool. If you've played some Blood on the Clock Tower, then uh, even if you've played it here, Look forward to uh, receiving the Kickstarter copies because the rabbit hole goes a lot deeper.
1: Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people this weekend who've, who've basically, you know, uh, either people who've seen a review or checked out the Kickstarter or back the Kickstarter who weren't 100% sure And a lot of people, I mean, it's definitely one of those games that some people play it and go, this is cool, but it's not for me. But yep. a lot of people have definitely uh, really got a sense for it themselves and been like, oh yeah, this is, this is pretty special. My favorite thing is, uh, I think somebody was saying they've been testing a wizard role. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, the wizard role basically is allowed... Uh, they 're granted a wish within the game, and they can tell the storyteller they can wish for anything they want, but it will then mean that something as good as it is that they get, whatever happens, something equally bad will then happen in exchange so it 's like they, the storyteller has to work out like sure you know i 'll kill the imp, but there 'll be another imp, yeah like you know or something like that like so but they can choose whatever they want. Basically, they said play they played a game of people where like basically the the person who was a wizard uh, their wish was that the person to their left would become a wizard. And then they they use their wish to make the person to their left become a wizard until everyone in the circle was a wizard. And then they were and they were like well, what happened? They were like, "Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> they were all just wizards." <laughs> Which is kind of like, okay, fine. Which in a way is like the microcosm of that's like a microcosm of the whole of blood in the clock tower. It's like, this, 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 this is. What does it mean? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they were telling me they're playtesting a role, which is like
0: the idea of the demon is just very, very, very small. And the art asset they're using is a little bowler hat with tentacles coming out. But what that means is in the game where you use the little, like a pocket imp, there is no imp, but instead the imp is the token and the minions have to pass it between each other. Like you're taking care of your tiny boss. Oh, Wow. <laughs> That is amazing. So they have to find the opportunity to pass. And the even with around. the basic
1: game, I had a wonderful time playing it as the poisoner where I was just sat next to somebody and they were so confused and they were just like, I don't know, like if I, if something's going wrong it means I, I, I would have been poisoned like every single night like is that and I would just be like yeah, that doesn't seem no no <laughs> and every night waking up and being like this guy but it was great because I knew he was good and I knew he was convinced I was good because of the information he got every night saying that both of his neighbours were good people and I'm like I'm not a good person but I felt it was amazing I just gaslit the guy I was for an hour say, but you, it was terrible it's but...
0: like this is the actual etymology of the word gaslighting it's like poisoning yeah. someone yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> Uh, moving on to perhaps uh, the. I'm going to call this the ten pole game of the podcast. Matt and I have been playing a lot of Vast the Mysterious Manor. Mm. Now, some of you may have played Vast the Crystal Caverns, which is a uh, hugely asymmetrical game by Patrick Lader of Later Games. Later Games would, of course, go on to publish Root, but uh, Vast the Crystal Caverns is a game where someone plays a knight who's in the caverns to kill a dragon. The dragon wants to escape the caverns. There's goblins in the caverns played by another player. One player just plays the cavern. Um, and mostly their game is putting down fungus. Um, it's but in, but classic love triangle, you know? Love quadrangle of fungus, goblin, dragon knight. Yep. Um, but we didn't like Vast Crystal Caverns very much. We thought it was a great idea, but le- we're here to tell you, oh boy, Vast the Mysterious Manor is better. <laughs> um, we Here's the thing. As much as we are tremendously catty on this podcast, I will say we've been having a great time with Miss Waltz. <laughs> We have been playing it multiple times. We had a nice time with it. Which is not something we were able to say about Crystal Caverns. So, Vast the Mysterious Manor is a game where uh, one person plays a house, potentially. One person plays a paladin who, at the start of the game, kicks open the door of the house. They're here to kill our big spider that is running around the house. That playing. is actually a sorceress. Who can turn into a spider, or lots of little spiders. So that's three players. The fourth player is a bunch of skeletons who are trying to kill the paladin. And the fifth player is potentially, if you get that far, a warlock who is trying to create a sort of... Imagine like a, a haunted IT manager yeah. who is trying to infect all of the ghosts and treasure chests in the house with a virus. Um, so it's a classic love triangle, uh, again. Yeah, I was just gonna say, my favorite thing though, and it's a mechanic that isn't in Crystal Caverns, and that fits the mysterious manor theme so well, if you're wondering, why is this a haunted house? Mm-hmm. The person playing the house um, their game, because it's all tiles that get laid out randomly as you explore the house, corridors and crypts and all this other stuff, um, they have the ability to, on their turn, rotate tiles and swap them, which means you get this fabulous... What's the haunted house in Disney, uh, Disney World called? The, is it just the haunted house? Haunted Mansion. You get the Haunted Mansion thing of, like, the paladin might run into a corridor and see the spider, and then the turn ends. But, of course, the, the manor wants to elongate the game to do their thing, so then the spider might just slide away... From the Paladin as the corridor elongates and the paladin's like, ah, at least they can't get to it. Well, and then, you know, at the end the, the corridor piece might just rotate, so then there's a wall between them and the spider. Um, it is interesting. Matt, what did you think?
1: I mean, it was interesting. It was it was unfortunately I found very slow. And um, it was a shame because it was it was fun and it was chunky, and I love the miniatures. The skeleton team were brilliant, a lot of fun navigating them around the dark. And I really wanted it to be something kind of a bit lighter and faster and looser because it does kind of have a little bit of a kind of gotcha cosmic encounter element to it like a lot of what I was doing when I was playing the skeleton which I had fun with was um, to be collecting all this equipment but then you collect these equipment cards but you can only use them if you currently have those skeletons out and it takes a while to get all your skeletons out and then when you use these abilities you can often just have a turn where you go boom, boom 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 and play all these cards and do all this mad stuff. Um, and it's just a bit frustrating to have something where you've got a lot going on, you've got a lot to strategize about, and then have a lot of that derailed sometimes by like, aha, but I do this. Yes. And yeah, it would be fine if it was faster, but when you take a long time to get a turn. Yeah, I would say it's, if, if you love, love, love Root, then Vast and Mysterious
0: Manor is, is absolutely something to check out.
1: This is tremendously embarrassing. Oh, here we go. But as has become a tradition with Shut Up and Live podcasts, I really need to go to the toilet! I will fill... It's really embarrassing! I will fill as you a, empty.
0: So. Uh, yeah, to just get a little mechanical for a second, Root at least has uh, factions that work roughly the same way for the whole game. Oh, I've just remembered how self-conscious I've become when I'm on stage. Uh, by myself. Um, but yes, A Vast and Mysterious Manor has a lot of cards. Think of it like if you are playing, you know, uh, I don't know, Talisman or something where if you're the Paladin you get loads of cards. But let me tell you. Let me tell you how hard it is to be a spider. I was a spider. I got... I saved up all my blood and all my webs. And it, this actually sounds quite gross. I don't feel like I'm going to get you on side. But I'd squirted all my blood and eggs and webs into one room. And I was like, good. The eggs are here. I'm going to tend them. They're going to pop. And then I'm, that, I'll be on my way to leaving the manor, which is the spider's ultimate objective. And then the paladin just is like, what's on his head? Paladin flips a card. Oh, I've got winged boots. And winged boots just meant he could move so fast. He got to my eggs, killed all my babies. Thank you. <laughs> still, it's still a tender moment. Um, but for real, I'm still annoyed about it. Uh, um, but yes, it's, it's, the thing I will say about Vast the Mysterious Manor is your turn is fun. And that's true of a lot of sort of like 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 games. Your opponent's turn's not being very fun. is okay when they don't take, I don't know, like 5, 6, 7 minutes. You're waiting for your turn and you're waiting for your turn as your opponents are doing well. Um, so that is just a little bit frustrating. But that is vast, the mysterious manner. Manner, okay. <laughs> in a manner of speaking.
1: I swear it's dehydration, but you can't win. You get dehydrated. Don't talk about Makes you need to the... wee more. And then you think, well, how do I fix that? Drink loads of water. But then what happens? This happens. Bodies. Good Lord. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should talk
0: about a game that you want to hear about as a treat. Hmm? A special treat. I'm going to tell you about Yum Yum Island. Oh, I've heard about this. It sounds stupid. It's fabulously
1: done. I mean, in a good way.
0: Yum Yum Island, it, are y- <laughs> Here's a little peep behind the curtain. Uh, we're quite friends with, uh, we're, we're friendly with um, the sort of Asmodee arm of, of, UK, of the UK. And they obviously, you know, because of proximity, they go over to Europe and they're looking for games to buy. And they describe this feeling that they will, uh, they will sometimes look at games and go, oh no, it's just too French. And I was like, what does that mean? Why you got a hate on the French? Yum Yum Island is too French. <laughs> Yum Yum Island is a game, ooh, let me get this right. The giant, the giant comma, Ferdinand, uh, has eaten all the food on the island. Oh no, don't worry, because all the players are gonna play a co-op game where they play the pelican food delivery service, delivering food to all the animals on the island. Mm-hmm. There's a co-op game, however, where you have to airdrop food. It's like, it's, it's like a food aid simulator, but you're feeding like, you know, uh, a lion. There's a cardboard lion with his mouth open, uh, and it's like this thing you see in a lot of games now where it's a uh, two-layer punch board, so it's a lion with a mouth open and then another layer, so it's got like a little divot. It's got a mouth indentation. Mouth indentation, perfect. There's all, you surround the island with some animals, and then one player has to pick up food and then drop it in the animal's mouth. Easy, Easy. right? Easy. But Matt, there's a storm. Ferdinand the Giant is eaten all the food on a stormy night, which means the person picking up the food and dropping it in the animal's mouths has to wear a blindfold. Don't worry, everybody, because your friends are on the radio. <laughs> and so the whole thing, it, when you can pick up the food blindfolded so you're like is it meat or vegetables I need some we're gonna feed the lion I need meat I'm closing my eyes for the people uh, listening to this podcast I'm, I'm, I'm doing methods mm-hmm. and then if you once you've picked up the food if you touch anything on the table you crash and the food is lost and Ferdinand gets all the food which means you sort of essentially it is a remote control sort of you know those crane games yeah the arcades? things that you never
1: win yeah
0: well now you can <laughs> do that at home
1: I mean, but you get to be the crane. and You get to drop the things into the mouths. Yes,
0: exactly. Your friends are saying, okay, left, 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 up, 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 right, right, right.
1: I feel like if you had more people, you could play this at home with grapes and people lying on their backs. And that would be pretty funny, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, it would. Um, But then there's all kinds of slightly disturbing stuff.
1: Yeah, and I mean, on that topic, I have actually had some exposure to Yum Yum Island uh, when I was filming some stupid videos at the convention yesterday and pretending to be a worm mm. uh, in a green suit carrier that I'd cut a hole in the bottom of. Um, and, yeah, I was, what I was trying to do was to pretend to be a worm and, like, leaning over to try and eat... the I didn't know there were f- bits of food, actually. It was thematically very appropriate, but to eat the pieces. Mm. I was trying to put them in my mouth, um, but then, obviously, there was somebody who was from the of Alive podcast who was playing the game at the press day and was wearing a blindfold, uh, was also kind of <laughs> putting their hands to grab some food from the food thing as I was putting my mouth to try and eat the food thing. And I did kind of end up like, sort of eating his fingers a little bit, whilst he was wearing a blindfold, and I believe his words said, what is touching me, what is that? (laughs) Uh, Which, you know, I just want to be very clear that that was me, probably not for the first time this weekend, just straight up breaking the code of conduct. For the show, so I can only apologise directly to them for that, and indirectly to everybody else. Well, you know what, you know what, Matt. But uh, I didn't break character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the game is actually, uh, you know what, just as gross. Um, and so when we get into uh, this is the front. French- it's not just animals with their mouths open, and you can see in their mouth and their tongue and their teeth, and it's just a bit nasty, because the, all the art assets are viewed from above. There's like a kangaroo with its mouth open, but it's also stretching its pouch open, so you can drop food into its baby's pouch as well. I don't like it. I don't like it. Some of the animals have special powers, so when you feed the lion, the lion bites Ferdinand, the giant, who is the timer in the game who eats all the food you drop, and the reward for that is you can lift up Ferdinand an inch and drop him, and any food that comes out as the lion bites him... Uh, is removed from the timer, which means you're biting a man so hard he regurgitates.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not sort of that thematically. That reminds me, actually, a game we don't need to go into a huge amount of detail on, but I was playing, before we came, uh, Nickelodeon Splat Attack. Oh, yeah. The food fight game uh, by Jonathan Ying. It's not Jonathan Ying's best work, I'll be completely honest, and I think he'd, he'd be fine with that. But it's basically a game where you pick a team of Nickelodeon TV show things, such as the Rugrats, Or Spongebob and his square friends. The Spongebob. The Spongebob. Nice. It is great things. Spongebob, Squarepants and his buddies, Rugrats, Invader Zim, and... The
0: Teenage Mutant Ninja
1: Turtles? No, that's a, that's an add-on. There's uh, a, there's a lot of online beef about the the additional. <laughs> the, as well as if you go on Board Game Geek and read the threads about like some of the Kickstarter um, stretch goal additional teams, there's just you get some incredible sentences coming out being like the, the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are incredibly overpowered, and it's like well you know they are they are fighting the Rugrats. <laughs> um, so I think there's some some fairness there. Oh, it's Hey Arnold as well, is oh, in, the, cool. in the base game. Yeah, which is cool, right? So it's quite fun, and it's a game of basically moving around a board very gently, throwing food at other things, which are cards, and then when you then take a shape out of a bag, and they're paper bags. It's not a great choice. Paper bags? Yeah, they're paper bags. And it's fun because they're like lunch bags. They're like, you know, Americans, oh. where you have your little packed lunch in a paper bag, but at the same time, it's, it's a board game component it's just paper it's a thin paper bag not ideal and then you put them on a little board in Tetrisy shapes to try and maximise how many times you can get hit with bits of food before your character gets splattered so
0: yeah this is actually my favourite mechanic is that the, your character your health is a bunch of squares like you know it might be a 2x4 yeah. Grid, and then when you get hit by food, it's
1: a little polymono. Yeah. That you, and you are splattered when you can't fit these Tetris shapes onto your grid, which is awesome. And you kind of have... Each of the characters has different abilities, and it means you've almost got classes to them in a very faint way, and the fact that you've got like some characters that are really elongated and strange shapes. Like Squidward, I think. Yeah, Squidward is like really odd, um, whereas other characters are just stocky blocks and can maybe take more hits. It's got so many really neat ideas. It just doesn't... I mean, as a fun, stupid game to play with kids... It's probably a laugh. But then it's like paper bags and children. Seems like a terrible mixture. Um, Yeah. But what I found hilarious whilst playing it was you throw all these items of food at people and every time we had a character that got splattered, the item... And there's things like, you know, waffles, pizza slices. It was always like... A bottle of pop, bottle of fizzy Ooh. drink, or like a jar of mayonnaise, and obviously the, <laughs> the insinuation is obviously that you've just thrown a handful of mayonnaise at someone because it's a food fight. But it's just like there's something about when like Tommy from the Rugrats gets taken out by a jar of mayonnaise.
0: You know? <laughs> Ooh, I think Anthony's getting up.
1: <laughs> um, so that's that's the thing.
0: I want to say. I want to say. That that, uh, that brings us to... Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about, Matthew? (sighs) The thing is, that mental image of Tommy getting glassed is so... I wasn't going to say that.
1: It taken out, not glassed. (laughs) I just feel like... I feel like... Have we peaked there? I mean, uh, uh, what, in terms of all of the podcasts? Is this it? (laughs) wrap it up and go home we could, we could talk about this backstage yeah. <laughs> no I, th- I think so we've had a wonderful time at the con going round I'm hoping to go and look at some games today this afternoon if I can find some time thank you so much for everyone it's been a really fun sport walking around saying hello to people um, some people today let me interview them whilst they play games and were tremendously good-natured about me being a flat-out total idiot
0: Oh, also, hey, if you, uh, if you get the chance walk down even Indie Avenue, because while we have the Expo space, there are some fabulous games. Some really interesting stuff, right? There's Chicken Heist, a game about Robin Banks as chickens. That might not be the, ah, of course, Indie Tables Rotate, so who knows what's going to be there today? Nobody knows. Who knows? We may well do some questions after this very briefly, but thank you all very much for being part of the Sleep Deprived 100th Shut Up Down Podcast. Thank you!